conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by David Harper. We're going to be talking sort of all things comics today. David, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Deanna? Pretty well. I'm very excited to have you on. For our listeners, can you just quickly give them a rundown of what you do? Sure. Um, you know, as noted, my name is David Harper, and I am the host of a weekly comics interview podcast off panel. Uh, it's been running for 312-ish episodes, and I have comic creators on there. I have people, I have comic uh, retailers on there. I have journalists. I have random people. I had Andrew WK on there, uh, the musician. It was very random and it was a long time ago. It was great. Uh, and then also I run a subscription comic book site called Sketched in which I write all kinds of things about comic books, the industry and beyond. Like the last couple of weeks, I had uh, a big mid-year retailer check-in where I talked to comic shops about you know what their year has been like. I did a big check-in with Skybound on their 10th anniversary, and I did a massive interview with artist Mike Del Mundo about his career. Next week, there's going to be a great guest feature, which is an oral history of the Legion of Superheroes five years later run, which is amazing, despite the fact that I'm a terrible editor. So finally, somebody good is going to write on the site. But anyways, that's going to be Jim McDermott. That's great stuff. But anyways, yeah, that's that's sketching off panel. Lots of words, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, and I've been listening to your podcast and I subscribe to the site. So I've been reading some of your stuff for at least a little while now. And I always love talking to other podcasters and writers because I feel like Sometimes podcasting is a very specific thing that only certain people really understand if they've done it, especially as long as you have like, this is episode 249. So 250 will be out for this show next week. And I've hosted two podcasts before this, I host another one along with this weekly. So, you know, it's something that I think a lot of people put a lot of time into and you can tell with off panel, you've definitely put in that work. And, you know, I'm actually thinking about shifting gears here and leaning more into talking to creators rather than just talking to my friends. Of course, I will still do that too. So that was kind of why I wanted to have you on too, because you get a ton of creators on your show. And is that something that you knew you wanted to do right from the start? Or was that something that you kind of built up to? That was the entire design of the show. I mean, I so I live in Anchorage, Alaska, and the only comic book friend I have moved to Las Vegas uh, right around when I started doing the podcast. And so I literally have no comic book friends in Alaska. Uh, okay, that's not true. I, I now have one, and he's a comic book creator, so that actually fits. I swapped into like the people I talk to the most. Uh, the friend that lives in Las Vegas is actually my most frequent guest. Uh, he's my pal named Brandon Burpee. But yeah, with creators, uh, I mean, Off Panel was always designed for me to just talk to people that I'm interested in. And so I have like some random rules for the show. Like if, if I'm going to have a creator on, I can only have them on once a year. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm, they only come on once a year because I want to make sure that I try to talk to like different people as much as I possibly can. And I, I, like I said, I talk to retailers, I talk to everybody. And it's just because, I mean, I always say that like sketched and off panel, the entire objective with them is answering questions I have in my head. Like sometimes I'll read like, I don't know, Reckless. And I'm like, I want to talk to Ed Brubaker about why the hell he did this. And so <laughs> I ask him those questions. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just basically, I've, I've joked on Twitter before that it's like a sketched and off panel or more about me than they are about comics in some ways. And I I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's been working since I started. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's good to be able to curb your curiosity for stuff. But at the same time, you also want your questions answered. And I know you've had people on like Heidi McDonald from Comics Beat and you have other people who write about comics. They don't necessarily write comics. So you have like critics on and things like mm -hmm. that. And I think it gives your show a very broad perspective because you're hearing from creators, you're hearing from retailers, you're hearing from people who just write about all of those things and you yourself write about them. So 
for sketched is that something where you know you had this idea and then because if i'm not mistaken it wasn't always a subscription first site right nope so i started at i back in the day when i first started writing about comics i used to write on a, on a write about them on a personal blog but i decided to stop because i figured my friends and family were tired about hearing me write about comics <laughs> and so i was part of a thread on a forum about pop punk music hilariously enough in which we talked about comics and one of the guys started a site that site uh is multiversity comics which became a pretty big site we were actually nominated for neisner in 2014 and so i wrote for that uh for a little under six years i was one of the first people that was on the site i think i was the third person and towards the end i decided i kind of want to do something a little bit different because i got a little tired of doing the same thing that every comic site does, which is fine. But I, I started writing news and previews and reviews and all the generic interview type stuff. And so I decided I was, you know, move away, see what I want to do. Maybe I do some freelance stuff. So I started Sketched. Sketched initially was a totally open site. It had no advertising, it had nothing. It was just me writing about stuff. It was great. People really enjoyed it. The problem was, um, after about a year, I was incredibly burned out. And it, I, it, I think the funny thing is, is Heidi McDonald, who you mentioned earlier, had pointed out in an article as soon as I closed the site that basically you get what you pay for. And that if people don't like pay people money to do stuff, they're going to stop doing it. And I remember being like taking that as a personal affront. I was like, this isn't about money. And then I started writing some articles from some bigger sites and I started getting paid. And I was like, maybe Heidi was right. And so... I decided to do a subscription site with Sketch when I brought it back in 2019 because it kind of felt like, I don't know, my stuff is so niche that if I ran banner ads, there was no way I was going to make any money off of it. And there's no way it was going to be able to exist and I would just get burned out again. And I decided to do a subscription site because some sites I really like really excelled with that in the world of sports. And so I tried that out and it's worked really well. And it actually fits because I don't think the stuff that I do on Sketched is something that every person's going to want to read about. But the people who do read about it seem to be really into it. Like the funny thing is, like most of the emails I get from people about my articles aren't from like you know, the traditional idea of readers. I did air quotes, so it was great podcasting by me. But it, a lot of it's like creators. Like a recent piece I did, I just had a number of emails from creators asking me about specific things from a piece. And I think that's partially because just my stuff has a little bit more of a narrow view. And apparently, like creators and people who work at publishers and retailers are a big part of that. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I'm I'm zigging while every other comic site is zagging. And I don't know if it's necessarily the right idea, but it's the right idea for me. Yeah, I am a person who still loves using RSS feeds as a way to keep up with websites <laughs> and stuff. And, you know, I was following like comicbook.com and some of those other big sites. And what I realized with those is that they want to be first with the news. And obviously, they have like the list posts and things like that. But what I found intriguing about Sketched in particular was the fact that you were kind of taking some of these ideas and changing them up a little like your comics disassembled is 10 things from the week, but it's not necessarily like, hey, here's this comic, it's out on this day, and that's it. You know, you put your personality into those posts. And that's what really drew me to subscribing to Sketch, because I love when people take a passion of theirs. And one, not only find a way to make money off of it, because as someone who is still trying to figure that part out, I definitely respect that. But, you know, I really enjoyed reading sites like Grantland, when that was around. And, you know, I don't read The Ringer quite as much, but I do listen to a bunch of their podcasts. They've definitely moved heavily into podcasts. And I yes. know you've done a few pieces there. And, you know, I think when you have sites like that that are willing to do something a little different from what everyone else is doing, I think that's when you really have a good chance to monetize and make something your own. Yeah. The best compliment I've probably ever gotten is Alex Segura, who is uh, works in marketing at Oni now. He's like the head of marketing over there. He told me when he first came on the podcast that Sketched was the Grantland of comics. 
And it was like the nicest thing. Because Grantland, I think, I mean, to me, like, I know everyone has an opinion on the best website. Grantland for me was the best website. I, I loved it. I, I couldn't have loved it more. And I don't think I'm that because, you know, that was had a, a massive group of diverse writers doing all kinds of really amazing things. I am not that person. I am a single person. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's something that a lot of interestingly, I think a lot of nerd culture stuff is is missing out on is like the reason why all of us read and watch and engage with all this stuff is that we love it. And it's just like, why are our personalities not in there as much? It seems odd to me that that there wouldn't be because there's you know th- th- there's a lot of reviews that you know that are great and everything like that. It's it's great to have reviews that kind of address stuff, but it's like a lot of times I I look at them and I'm just like, what differentiates you from someone else? You know, and and I will say there are some sites that are excel at that. Like that's one thing I really like about uh, Comics XF and their. Uh, they do these interview, they, these reviews and pieces about art or comics in which like two people are talking about it, and it's it does kind of simulate the the experience of having a conversation with a friend about it, except for you're just kind of bearing witness to it, except for they also know a lot about comics, and there there's personalities in it, and I think that I'm with you. I mean, I would rather read something that you can see the person's personality in than not. I mean, it's a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm someone who actually came to comics pretty late. I didn't really start buying graphic novels or anything until I want to say like 2014, 2015, which is basically after college when I had my own money. So, (laughs) you know, it was one of those things that I slowly started getting into. And now I'm, you know, subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, DC Universe Infinite, because honestly, that's kind of the best bang for your buck. And, you know, we both can see each other right now since we're on video and it's very clear. We love our bookshelves. Yes. So, you know, I only have like two actual shelves on one bookshelf that has comics and everything else is like books. But for me, the experience of just diving into comics and, you know, checking out the older stuff, checking out the newer stuff and discovering a lot of indie comics you know, something like your site really helps with that. Because if you go to the front page of and, you know, this is nothing against comicbook.com. It's just how the site is, you know, Marvel and DC are the comics and the topics that are going to get them clicks. So it makes sense that they would really focus on that not to say they don't have any indie comic content at all. But they're definitely leaning into like, hey, here's the new Black Widow teaser or whatever, you know. Yeah. So to read a site like yours and just really dive into the retailer aspect and all these things that people probably don't think about on a regular basis when it comes to comics. It's just so refreshing because, you know, anyone can kind of just post the sales numbers and that's it. And you don't really know or understand what the impact of that is unless you're talking to the people who are selling them. Right. Yeah, exactly. You can't really post them anymore because they haven't actually been Diamond hasn't been updating them for the last like nine months or That's something fair. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, it it is interesting. It's like in some ways, I don't go to comicbook.com. I actually have them blocked on Twitter just because they were so they spoiled so many things for me. Yeah, I'd like go, be too. on there and all of a sudden somebody would re- retweet like I don't know Snape killed Dumbledore and I'm just like, good lord, come on. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's uh, I'm using yeah. an, an older example, so I don't actually spoil something new. But there would be so many things like that. But at the same time, I also understand what they're doing because it's. I think fundamentally, that's that's part of the problem with a lot of websites is that they're based off of banner ads, and banner ads require lots and lots of clicks and lots and lots of impressions, which means. And, and my day job is in digital advertising, so I know. I mean, like that's that's part of my job. Uh, and but but the thing is, is like for them, they need whatever will drive the most people. And unfortunately, very rarely, despite like how much I love something like Homesick Pilots or like, I don't know, like Everyone is Tulip, the Dave Baker and uh, and Nicole Goo book. You know, those those are great comics. But at the same time, that's not going to drive the traffic for something like comicbook.com. So they're going to ignore it completely. And that's just kind of tough because I mean, I guess that's part of the reason why I like the subscription thing is is just it allows me to write about anything and I don't have to kind of dictate my behavior based off of what people, you know, in theory, like, cause I actually, here's, here's the thing. I actually wrote about this in my mailbag this week. I mean, you were saying that, you know, you like the stuff that kind of really shows a personality and everything like that. 
I think most people do. I think most people really, they want to feel something when they read or when they listen to a podcast. And the problem with like the kind of homogenous chasing clicks type of uh, perspective on sites and podcasts and everything like that is that I don't know. I think people listen to it and read them because it's like, I don't know, because it's there. But I don't know if anybody really loves it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's like if you are going to check out a trailer or something on any of the websites that do news posts, you can tell a lot of these sites have like a very similar voice for their news posts. And it's like, here's kind of the facts and that's it. And sometimes that's all you need. So you don't really think about the fact that there's like no opinion or personality behind this post about this trailer for this big Marvel or DC movie or whatever. And I think, you know, a while back I wrote for Fansided and for anyone who isn't familiar with Fansided, they have a ton of different websites. They have one for pretty much every sports team you can think of. They have, you know, TV focused websites. And I was the editor for a Spider-Man focused website, which ended up getting rolled into their comic book website after I stopped doing it. And it was all about the clicks. You know, I had to hit 50 articles a month. And that either had to be just me or I had to find writers who would apply and then write stuff. (laughs) And it was... Not the best experience, I will say. And, you know, I met some great people through Fansided, but as a business model, it's like they paid me $50 Yeah, for 50 articles. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they got, in, like, not in trouble, but, like, internet trouble when people realized what they were doing. Yep. I, uh, if I remember correctly. It's funny. You were talking about, like, the, the similar voice. It kind of reminds me of, like the old school idea of TV anchors with like the whole non-regional mm-hmm. diction where it's just like everyone kind of talks the same. So everyone's yep. like, oh, this is so pleasant. I had never thought about that before, but I think that's, you're right. I do think there is a pretty similar voice. And it's funny because I don't know if it's dictated to them to do that so much as it's just kind of like because so much, so much of so many websites, not just comics, but all, all sites, to a certain degree, everyone's kind of cribbing off of each other. And you probably look at other sites, you're like, oh, how do they do it? Okay, this is how I will also do it. But I'll do it slightly different, but only slightly, slightly different. The funny thing is you mentioned comics disassembled. That one, if I'm being totally honest, the the base concept, the 10 things I like or don't like, is a concept that Zach Lowe, a writer for ESPN, he does about basketball. Love and Zach. And also came from, from Grantland. And it was I, – I love the idea because it's so simple. And it's like instead of constantly writing about just a bunch of stuff that you don't want to write about – you write about 10 things once a week and you get into it a little bit more depth. And I always loved that. And I was like, comics should have something like this. I'm like, comics is going to have something exactly like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny how you can take these ideas from totally different places. You know, most people don't think of sports and comics in the same breath at all. And I think when it's so similar now, it's so similar. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it really is. And when you're able to see that and be like, okay, this thing works and this is why, how do I take it and have that fit what I like? And, Mm -hmm. you know, with this podcast, you know, I've spent a lot of time mostly just talking to friends about things we like, occasionally things we don't like, but I don't particularly find that as enjoyable. But sometimes, you know, like I did a Suicide Squad episode. Like the movie or the comic? The movie. Okay. (laughs) The, The movie. And not a movie I enjoy, but because I enjoy comic book movies in general, I had things to say about it. So I was like, okay, you know, I have what I think is constructive criticism of this movie. So we'll do that. And, you know... I think just trying to figure out what works and what is unique enough to not be like everything else or what you're kind of deriving your idea from Mm -hmm. is when you have something and you're like, okay, I have found it. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I try to, but because I work on so many, my listening has gone down a little. But yeah, I listen to what I do is I kind of cycle through like when I first started listening to podcasts. I listened to a bunch of tech podcasts because mm. I was really into like some of the tech shows like ATP, the talk show and a bunch of stuff that Relay FM did. And then my interests sort of changed because I wasn't following like 
Apple News as closely and things like that. So then it became a bunch of sports podcasts because I was watching basketball all the time. Yeah. So, you know, but that's kind of dwindled down. And it's like I listen to The Low Post and I think I listen to Woj still when he has episodes come out and that's about it. So now it's like very pop culture focus. So, you know, I'll listen to the fiction podcasts that Marvel does and comic book podcasts, movie podcasts, things like that. You know, we mentioned The Ringer earlier. I definitely listened to quite a few Ringer shows. So I've kind of cycled through what I listen to, but I'm always still listening to a lot. <laughs> yeah. In in my entire life, I would say I've listened to three podcasts ever semi-regularly. I'm a terrible <laughs> podcast listener. One was the Bill Simmons podcast. That was the first one I ever listened to. And then I got really tired of that. Two, low post. And I still go back to the low post from time to time. And three, I even wore my shirt for it yesterday. Rest in peace, my beautiful binge mode. That was my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I love binge mode. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, binge mode is kind of like the, I, in my opinion, like the ideal for like a nerd podcast. Because it was like two hosts who clearly really, really enjoyed each other with a great idea, with great depth. And also it 100% showed the personality to the max. I mean, like that's... That's the dream for a podcast right there. I mean, I'm not necessarily somebody who enjoys the the level of depth that they go to all the time. Like, I didn't listen to all the Harry Potter book ones because, frankly, I don't need to listen to, like, a two-hour podcast about two chapters of a book. <laughs> but I know people who love that. Yeah. But, like, for the Star Wars stuff and the MCU stuff and a lot of the, the Game of Thrones stuff, I was, like, really into that. And it's just – I don't know. I mean – I do think it's interesting. It is like my problem. I used to have like a five minute commute. Now I have a zero minute commute because I work at home. And so I have like no time to listen to podcasts. And I hate listening to podcasts when I run. And so and and whenever I listen to them out loud, my wife is just like, what are you doing? I'm like, OK, no more of that. But yeah, it's it is interesting. I'm I'm the worst podcast host in the sense that I basically never listen to podcasts. I'm a weirdo. It's fine. I went the opposite direction and went all in. I was like, yes, I will edit everyone's podcast. Yes, I will host <laughs> two weekly podcasts. Yes, I'll do all of the podcast things. So it's just like podcast overload over here on my end. But I love it. And, you know, like I said, I'm about to hit episode 250 on this. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what works because... As you know, podcasts take quite a bit of time and not all of us have that co-host dynamic that Mal and Jason have. So, mm -hmm. you know, we both decided to go the route of having a different person on every week. What has been the biggest challenge for you with that? Because you are getting people who, you know, are definitely, I would imagine more frequently in a time crunch because comic book deadlines seem a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say by far the, the biggest uh, quandary for me is uh, getting people booked because, okay, so now is a good example. Entering Monday, I had Monday, whatever it is, the 19th, I guess. I don't know, 18th, whatever. Around then, I had five people who had agreed to come on the podcast. None of them had given me a time yet. None of them still have given me a time. It is Friday and I still do not have a podcast for Monday. The good news is, is I have a, a list of folks who are very kind and will respond to a bat phone if in need be. And it's not like I, I you know, I'm just using them as break glass in case of emergency. They're people I want to talk to, but it's, it's like, um, you know, a few hours from now, I'm going to be talking to John Hendrick, who, uh, is the one of the people that runs uh, Big Bang Comics in Dublin. It's a comic shop there. They're great. Um, I even did the only live podcast I've ever done was in at Big Bang Comics when I visited Dublin. They had me in for a show. And anyways, and so John's going to come on and talk about retail stuff and everything like that. But the the real the real difficulty with running an interview podcast is that you're reliant purely upon everyone else's schedules. And it's like you know people always ask me like how do you get the people that you get on your show. And I'm like, I ask so many people. I would say that for every person that's been on my podcast, I've asked three other people who either never responded or declined. And people don't, I don't think they realize that. And it's, it's very, it's very interesting because it's like, I think sometimes people think that some people haven't been on my show because I haven't asked. And that is definitely not the case. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to name names, but if there's a lot of people that would be on my podcast, if I could get them, but 
unfortunately, I you know, it's reliant upon them wanting to do so. And I do not blame them because, as you said, so many of them are crazy, crazy busy. And that's why I have a very large uh, dream list of people that I'd like to have on my show. But um, anyways, but yeah, so it's just like it's a combination of getting people to say yes or uh, or respond, actually. And then the other thing is um, getting them to settle on a time because they are really busy. Like um, somebody that I'm looking to have on my show is somebody who runs one of the biggest retailers in the world and runs some other stuff connected to that. And she is really busy, really, really busy. And I know that. And it's just about being diligent enough to make sure that eventually we get booked, but not so diligent that I annoy the hell out of her to the point where she doesn't want to come on the show anymore. It's a fine line. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm one of those people who asked you in like the sketch forums, like how you go about getting guests, because for me, I majored in music industry, so publicists are a big deal there. But with comics, it seems very hit or miss whether or not a writer or artist has a publicist. Like, I had Vita Ayala on both of my shows, and I simply just sent them a DM and was like, hey, I have this Stephen King podcast. I have this geeky podcast. If you want to come on either of them at any point, would love to have you. They said yes. And that's kind of how that happened. And sometimes you have to go through like more official channels, especially if you want someone who is, you know, remotely connected to DC. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Vita does do some writing for DC now. but (laughs) Yeah, Vita's Vita's the dream, though. Vita is the ideal comic or comic book guest in so many ways, both because their perspective is so wonderful and broad but also because well and also because their perspective is just 100% Vita you couldn't ask Vita to talk about something that they didn't care about because it's just like everything that they do is something that they care about and I think that's that's wonderful but beyond that also Vita works for I mean has worked for like Marvel DC Black Mask a, a bunch of other publishers probably a bunch of other ones we don't even know about are coming down the line and so I mean that that's the thing is is there's always a way to connect with somebody it's just I mean ultimately my thing with when people ask me is is just you have to be willing to find a way to connect with them and most of the time they're going to be pretty welcoming I mean like I'm I'm working on a piece for sketch right now where so far I've reached out to somebody via their website contact form via email via Facebook chat, not because I, would, I wouldn't normally do that, but a person specifically told me to reach out to them on Facebook chat. And then got, I mean, I was thinking about reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn. Like that is, that is like really pushing it for me. I'm like LinkedIn. I'm like, that's I'm like, am I being weird now? I don't know about this, but somebody told me to do it. So I'm going to do it anyways. But it's just, sometimes you've got to you got to do what you got to do because official channels don't always work out. There are a lot more marketer or publicity and marketing people, uh, independent ones, than you'd realize these days, though. There's a lot. Yeah, I try to always look at like people's Twitter bios or Instagram bios to see if they have a rep or something. And, you know, I haven't really taken the time to dive into trying to book creators just yet. It's like, I'm in the midst of the shift. So (laughs) I haven't sent out as many emails as you did. But what I did was I opened up a notebook and I started writing down like 100 names of just people I would love to have on the podcast. And it was a lot of comic book writers and artists and then people like yourself who host podcasts or write about these things. Because I think just finding people, especially in the comic book world, they seem a lot more open to wanting to talk about their stuff. It's not like, you know, we're trying to get David Lynch on our podcasts or anything, which I imagine would be a little more difficult. You're not trying to get David Lynch on your podcast. (laughs) It seems like in Hollywood, especially, you have to go through like 10 people to get something set up with someone. Whereas with comics, it's a little more open, even if they do have a rep or a publicist. It's not like you know, the publicist is then hitting up the manager to then hit them up and figure out the schedule and things like that, which I'm actually going through right now to schedule some 
Twitch streams. So I work with Finn McKenty, who does the Punk Rock MBA, and he's moving his podcast to the Twitch streams. And, you know, we're kind of like, okay, these are when the streams are. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to get people for those very specific times and very specific days. And sometimes it's like, I'll get an email from a publicist and they're like, I hit up the manager and then they'll, you know, figure out the person's availability. And I'm like, this is so many people to go through to schedule something. I will say one advantage of doing my podcast for as long as I have and like kind of developing kind of the listenership I have is like every once in a while, I'll have random things where like a listener will reach out and be like, oh, I know this person. Do you want me to set you up with them? And I'm like, all right. Yeah. yeah. Like I I had uh, a listener reach out and I'd written um, in my comics disassembled thing about how I theorized that Randall Park, uh, the actor from like uh, Fresh Off the Boat and like uh, Always Be My Maybe and stuff. I know mm-hmm. he plays Jimmy Woo in the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Um, it, I always theorized, theorized that he was a comic fan and I don't even know why. I just had this idea in my head that he was a comic fan. And um, he actually optioned a well is directing a uh, adaptation of a comic book. And I wrote about it. I was like, I knew it. I knew he was a comic fan. And the person was like, reached out to me like, hey, I know Randall. Do you want me to connect you with Randall Park? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Anyways, it ended up not happening because of schedules. But at the same time, that idea, it is kind of funny. Like eventually, like if you do enough interviews, it seems like they sort of start coming to you, I guess. Yeah, I think especially with your show, because you've had so many creators on, I feel like that stuff gets around with all of the creators and stuff. So for me, I'm hoping I'm like, okay, I've had Vita on, you know, maybe I can get some people that they know on and then just kind of build up from there because I'm not, you know, going to come out and be like, yes, I would like Jim Lee on my podcast, even though he has no idea who I am right out the bat. I'm like definitely willing to like kind of work my way up to these things. Sure. And I think sometimes that's a good way to do it because then you never know who someone else is going to know. You know, obviously Vita knows a ton of people, but I'm not going to just keep texting Vita and be like, Hey, can you introduce me to these 25 people? (laughs) You know, (laughs) cause that you don't do that. (laughs) If you ever need help, let me know. I mean, I, I, I'm not Vita, but I, I, I can offer my assistance in any way you need. I appreciate that. I will probably take you up on that soon, but you know, comics being way more recent for me, it's just something that I really fell in love with so quickly, because it was kind of the ultimate visual medium, in my opinion, because, you know, like I mentioned, I host a Stephen King podcast. And I was like, oh, someone did Dark Tower comics, you know, which they were originally released by Marvel. And it's like, oh, wow, these are so much better than the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't watch the movie, but from what I understand that it's not a, a hard thing to do. <laughs> no, but it's just so nice that they exist. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. okay, I, I'll just pretend I didn't watch that movie and I'll read these instead. And, you know, there are comics for The Stand as well, which because of that being such a long novel, it's so hard to adapt. But with comics, it's like you can do the, these story arcs that I feel like fit really well to adapt certain types of novels And obviously, you know, you have the Harry Potter books, which turned into eight movies or whatever it was. And it definitely isn't something where I don't think certain books can be movies, but just seeing the way that people use comics to either adapt things or create these all new worlds, it just fascinated me so much. Oh, yeah. So what was your what was the first comic that hooked you? Was it the Stephen King stuff? No, that's actually more recent for me. One of my friends in college introduced me to Why the Last Man. Nice. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, not what I expected. And he also introduced me to Saga. So, you know, it was just those two that were definitely big world building stories. And obviously Saga's not done, but, you know. He recommended something other than Marvel and DC, which I thought was, one, interesting, and two, very nice for me, because then it kind of let me get out of that superhero mindset and realize that comics could be so much more than just superhero stories, because, you know, I was naive at one point, and, you know, it seemed like Marvel and DC were the end goals for everyone in comics, and that's definitely 
not the case. So we have something in common. I'm going to share something with you, which is a uh, visual. So it's a uh, excellent for podcasts. But so I I started reading comics in the I don't know 80s, I guess. Um, and I was very young. I was very young. I yeah. So I started reading in the 80s with the Transformers comics because basically at that point in my life I would like do anything for the Transformers. Like the Transformers were my like Alpha and Omega. They were they were my gods. I love them so much. Anyways, and so I I read the Marvel stuff. It got me hooked. Yada yada yada. I, I kept reading until I got into high school, and then I stopped for, like, the last two years of high school, and then for, like, the first year or two of college, and my mom, <laughs> this is funny, I always feel like I'm putting her on blast, but she meant this in a very nice way, she told me that um, there are very few things in my entire life that I've ever done that she was, like, ashamed of me of, <laughs> but one of them was that I gave up reading comics because I, like, was worried that people wouldn't think it was cool because I loved it so much, and she was just, like, she didn't understand why I gave it up. You know, I was giving up something I loved, and she was right, and so she was like, how about this? I'll take you to Bosco's, which is my local comic book shop. I was home for a summer uh, from college, and she's like, I will buy you whatever you want, comic book-wise, if you would do that. And I was like, sure, let's go do it. And we went there. And the, the clerk that was there asked me, you know, what is it you liked before? And I love Preacher. Preacher was my favorite comic. Uh, last comic I read before I bounced out. And he recommended Why the Last Man. And ultimately, the three comics I ended up getting were Why the Last Man, Fables, and The Walking Dead. Those are the ones that got me hooked back on comics. And the funny thing is, is Why the Last Man was the biggest of the three for me. And eventually, I ended up writing a letter to Pia Guerra, like an actual letter, because Pia Guerra uh, used to, if you would send backing boards, uh, she would do a sketch on a backing board for you and send it back. And I, I sent my letter, and in my letter, I, I said that her and Brian owed me something like $25,000 because they made me buy comics again, and it was a very expensive habit. <laughs> and eventually, she sent me a, um, I, she didn't frame it, but um, I'm showing Deanna a sketch of York and Ampersand that Pia Guerra did on a backing board. I love that. And I also framed the letter with it that she wrote back. And basically the letter was just like her thanking me for it and just saying that it was like, it was very nice that I said the message and yada, yada, yada. And basically sorry that, you know, it costs you so much money. And it was just such a nice thing. I think that's one of the cool things about comics is there's like a, a, a shorter proximity between fans and creators in some ways, and it like, can build some really amazing connections. I honestly think that's part of the reason why the, the medium feels as so personal as it does, too, is like you can see the creators in it. Like with Pia, it's like you can see it on every stroke of the of the pen on the page. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I actually just attended a writing workshop that Scott Snyder did with women in comics. And lately, I've been really feeling like I just want to learn as much as I can about how people tell these stories in comics, because I had read Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman run. And I absolutely loved it. It was one of the things that really got me diving into more Batman comics. And because I'm kind of in this spot where I'm reading semi-recent stuff, I, I trade weight everything. You know, I sure. don't I don't really buy single issues. I did buy a ton of the DC Rebirth, like the one shots that they put out when they were kind of relaunching everything. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, no, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> my, my wallet will not be happy with me. So I trade weight and I use Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe Infinite to my advantage. And, you know, I love discovering new stuff. Like, I know that I definitely want to read the Department of Truth and Something is Killing the Children and all of these newer comics. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I think I kind of need to go back and see where comics kind of started from. So when I was working for Fansided with that Spider-Man site, I went back to the very beginning I started, you know, Amazing Spider-Man from issue one after reading Spider-Man's first appearance. And oh boy, are those wordy. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's night and day between t uh, today's comics and that, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was pretty jarring to go from like Scott Snyder's Batman, which, you know, isn't like the least wordy of the comics, but to still go from that to Amazing Spider-Man, I was like, oh, wow, they really did explain everything to you in the old comics. Yeah, yeah. It, it is really amazing because, like, so much of the stuff that people look back on during that era, they think about the artists, like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and, and everything. And you look at that era and you're just like, if only 
more of the art was evident because it wasn't covered up by so many words. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like it, it is, I do think that, I mean, it's natural for that to take place because it's, yeah. at, at that point, like comics had been kind of out of the mainstream to a certain degree for like 20 years or so because like the, all the Frederick Wortham stuff. And then on top of that, it was like everyone was still figuring out the medium. And so they're like, well, we got to explain everything. And now it's like you read, I don't know, like a comic I really like right now is Eternals by Kieran Gillen and, and uh, Esad Ribich and, and Matt Wilson and Clayton Cowles. And like Kieran and, and Esad have like a really good flow worked out where so much of the story is told in the art. But Kieran is like, I don't know, just basically... Like, he's the guy that's doing the, the anthem parts over top and really, like, selling the visuals with his words. And it's it's really interesting. It's it's not... I don't know. It's it's such a well-done collaboration between the whole team. And I love that. And if you read that versus reading, like, Amazing Fantasy 15, it would be, like, so jarring. Mm-hmm. Like, you couldn't even believe that two, the two were the same species. <laughs> yeah, and I've been going through and trying to read some of the big events, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and things like that. And I'm admittedly not huge on comic book events because they tend to go a little crazy and have like 50 tie-in issues. I think the only event I've read mostly in full is Civil War. And I did that because of the movie and everything. And I was really curious how the two differed. But for the most part with events, I'm just like, okay, I'll read the main issues and if there's things I'm missing, there's things I'm missing. I'll, I'll just have to deal with it. Yeah. But yeah. it's kind of crazy how events were so massive. And now they still are. But, you know, when you think of something like the Civil War movie versus the Civil War comic, there are obviously way fewer characters in the movie, even though there's still a ton of characters in the movie, because... You know, I I tend to find comic book events a little hard to keep track of because they tend to just be like, here are all of our characters in one thing. (laughs) And I'm just like, we can do smaller events, Marvel and DC. You do know this, right? And I think they have started doing some things like that. But for you, how do you feel about comic book events? Because sometimes I feel like I'm the only one who doesn't like them as much. (laughs) You know... I used to be more enthusiastic about them. Like, events used to feel like a big deal. The the last while, the events don't really feel like a big deal to me. And I think part of it is, be- I mean, so many of the Marvel events are kind of larger stories from individual books. It's like King and Black was a Venom story, really. Uh, War of the Realms was a Thor story, really. You know, it's just like they're individual character stories that kind of spill out into larger universal things which makes sense i mean it's like if like the villain from venom took over everything with his weird black goo or whatever that makes sense i mean like you would think other people would be affected by it but so lately i've been more off them the idea of events i love because i mean the whole premise of superhero comics is shared universes i think part of the problem is is events as a piece of commerce and events as a piece of storytelling often have tension in that they want to tie in everything to it because a rising tide lifts all ships and they rely on some of that stuff to tell part of the story. And then that makes it a worse individual event. That's why like my favorite events tend to be ones that are a little bit more insular or a little bit more on rails. Like um, I wrote about Annihilation for Sketched um, and that's one of my favorite events because it's you don't have to read it, but it starts with like this Drax the Destroyer miniseries and then there's Annihilation prologue. There's four miniseries that you can read or don't read and then it's a six issue miniseries that is the story. Like you can just read the prologue and the six issue Annihilation series and that's it. And you would have a very satisfying experience. There's no tie-ins at all. And I think that's, I think that's great. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's like almost the biggest issue for me is it's not a conceptual one. It's a design one. It's like, what do you want out of this? Like, you know, if you're civil war two, you want to make money because there's civil war coming out the movie. Uh, but if like, sometimes there's one that slips through the cracks where you're like, Oh, this one, this one actually makes sense to exist. I actually, I, you know, I, I tend to, to get more on that, but it, I definitely feel like as the years have passed, I don't know if it's a me thing or if it's a them thing, but I'm not as enthusiastic as I used to be. I do think the aughts were a really good stretch for it though. It's like infinite crisis, house of M annihilation, um, civil war to a much lesser degree. Uh, Planet Hulk, um, and Planet Hulk's not really an event, but I mean, it leads to World War Hulk. 
World War Hulk is not a great event, but th- there's some really good stuff, but it's like with anything, it's just some of it's really good, some of it's really bad. I just think that one of the problems is is it's always looked at as a way for them to make more money as opposed to a way to get people excited about comics. Like I think somebody who's new to comics should be able to jump in on an event and be like, oh my God, this is all the characters, I'm hyped, and then when you leave it, it builds off of that. But so much of it is just manufactured, so it doesn't work in that way, and I think that's a bummer. I think you explained that much better than I could. So thank you for that. (laughs) But one thing I've realized is like, I really love stories like Batman the Long Halloween, which you can choose to read Dark Victory if you want. You don't have to, to understand, you know, what's going on. I've never read Dark Victory. Oh, okay. I love Long Halloween. I have read both semi-recently and, you know, you, you don't need to, you know, you aren't missing anything from the long Halloween if you don't read Dark Victory. And, you know, I really loved Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. Yeah. And I thought because that was very focused on this moment in time for Hawkeye specifically, even if other characters, you know, popped in every once in a while or something, it was something you could just read on its own. And, you know, when DC did Rebirth, I kind of started reading almost everything just to see what I was going to like. And it was too much. (laughs) I was like, okay, no, I I can't do this. So I I picked a few things and kind of read more for those specific characters. But, you know, when it feels like the companies are just kind of doing this big thing to make money, it's a little disappointing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly think when you look at throughout like the history of comics, I would say a lot of the most iconic works are ones more in like Batman the Long Halloween's vein, mm-hmm. where they're more designed as standalones as opposed to things that are supposed to have tendrils everywhere. I mean, it's just like, what's what's the thing that people point to the most? Uh, probably Watchmen. And Watchmen yeah. has no connection to anything. And Well, now it does. But, you know, <laughs> uh, but I mean, back then it had no connection to anything. It was only created because Alan Moore couldn't work with the Charlton characters that he wanted to. So he's like, whatever, I'll create my own characters anyways. And so it's interesting how you see things like that. And you see things like Batman, the long Halloween and like, you know, over at Marvel, like recent ones, like you have the vision or Hawkeye. And these are books that stand on their own two legs and are connected to continuity, but are not like focused on it. Yeah. They're not focused on it and they're not dependent on it. And those are the books that, always spill out into the you know pop culture lexicon and are the ones that are used in the movies and things like that. Like I was reading an article the other day about how Christian Bale would read Batman Long Halloween and look at Tim Sale's art for like, how should I work? Like his art was dictating the mannerisms of one mm-hmm. of the greatest thespians of our lifetimes. <laughs> and like that is that is a staggering compliment to the craft of comic books. And instead we're just like, let's do like, I don't know. I don't even like, honestly, what was the event last year? Empire. There was Empire. I don't even remember what that was really about. And I get the press it, releases and I don't know what it was about either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, even something like my favorite, probably my favorite superhero story ever is Daredevil Born Again. And Daredevil Born Again, you could read without ever having read a Daredevil comic in your entire life. And you would largely be fine. And yeah. It, and not only that, but you'd be better than fine because that comic fucking rules. Apologies <laughs> if you don't actually have cursing, but I love that comic. Um Anyways, and so I'm, I'm totally with you. It's it's fascinating that in some in some ways, like I think continuity is the secret sauce of comics. But when they're so dependent on it that it becomes an exclusionary medium, then that's where it becomes harmful. And I wish that I don't know. There's like a there's a, a area for them to live in, and a lot of times superhero comics are not living in that that world. Yeah. Well, one last thing I want to briefly touch on here before we go are some recommendations. If you have anything you've been reading lately that you would love for more people to check out or anything doesn't have to be a comic, but it can be also five comics. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna look around my room really quick. Uh, I'm just all of my comics are upstairs because I read in bed. And so they're all next to bed, my bed. But um, the easiest selling point or the easiest thing And the thing I have to push is because I push it all the time and it's almost to the point where it's like comedic how people know that this is the thing I push. Xander Cannon's Kaiju Max is my favorite comic. I absolutely love it. It is about Kaiju 
who are in a supermax prison and what their lives are like. And it's six seasons long. It's in its final season. Each season addresses a slightly different part of the prison life. And this last one is basically about prisoners having to do, like, having to partake in a war to, like, dig trenches and stuff like that. And so much of it, it it's interesting. It's, it's like monsters by proxy. But it is just such an amazing comic. And it's so smart. And it's so funny. And it's so tragic at times and so poignant. I don't know. I mean, one of the, people look at it and they see the art and they think it's cartoony and they think it's going to be a silly book. And it is not. The art is perfect for it once you actually start digging into it. I couldn't recommend it more. Two, I'm going to go with Delicates by Brenna Thumbler. Uh, it's a graphic novel that it actually, well, Sheets and Delicates. Sheets is the first book in the series. It's um, Sheets is a book about this girl named Marjorie Glatt whose mom recently died and she's going into middle school and she just like doesn't fit in. Actually, I think it's high school. Well, anyways, so she just doesn't fit in and she just feels lost without her mom and her dad is basically just isn't living life properly anymore. So she kind of has to take care of herself and she makes a surprising friend in a ghost who is a, a kid named Wendell who passed away. And um, it's a basically about her saving her family and also like just figuring out who she is. The sequel gets into some more interesting territory because uh, another character is introduced and adds a wrinkle to it. But that series is amazing. Uh, I mentioned Everyone is Tulip by Dave Baker and Nicole Gu. That's a graphic novel from Dark Horse that's about basically like how art can take over people's lives and Los Angeles being insane. And it's it's about this, this girl who um, becomes a viral YouTube star and it slowly starts taking over her life where she stops being Becca and starts becoming Tulip, the character she plays. And it's it's very, very good. I love it. Um, the Nice House on the Lake by James Tynan and Alvaro uh, Martinez Bueno. That is the best single issue series this year. It is unbelievable. Both issues are like five course meals of fantasticness. And I absolutely love it. And the last recommendation I'm going to have is not comics. Second season of Ted Lasso starts today. And I am a Ted Lasso freak. I'm all about it. It's It's amazing. I'm so excited to have a little bit more kindness in my life, which is an irony. Because some of the stuff that I, I just recommended is the opposite of kindness. But <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at my shelf now, too. And I'm like, oh, man, I've boxed up a lot of the comics that I have read to make room for the ones that I haven't <laughs> read on my shelf. So I'm just looking at a bunch of stuff I need to read. But, you know, since we talked about Marvel and DC stuff that can stand alone, I would recommend Jessica Jones' Alias. That was another early comic that I read. It's one of the Max titles. And it just gives you such a different look at the character than I think you would get if she were to just kind of appear in an event or something like that. So it's a much more personal look at the character. And if anyone watched the Netflix show, the Netflix show really seemed to pull from that quite a bit as far as, you know, her personality and things like that. So that was one I really enjoyed early on. Also, Mr. Miracle by Tom King. You know, I'm terrible with pronouncing names, so I tend to not. Mitch Gerrits. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. I, I tend to just pronounce the ones I can. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I know. Tom King's hard to screw up. So, yeah. You know? <laughs> but that one was fun. Yeah. A lot of people go with Gerrards and stuff, and it's Gerrits. Yeah. But yeah, those are two standalone titles from, you know, each publisher by chance that you can kind of just jump into and jump out of. And I enjoyed both. And, you know, David, thank you so much for joining me. It has been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably be uh, hitting you up soon for some help with guests. <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you for having me, Deanna. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.